So we are in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And so if you're in a paper Bible, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. And maybe there's somebody that wants to read. Since that microphone's still going around, is there somebody that wants to read? Throw your hand up if you'd like to, if you'd like to read. Somebody? Reader in the room? Right there, over, to, the, over to, to my side over here. Up, there you go. Uh, chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. <clears throat> Hebrews 11. Now faith is the confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith... It is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. All right. So we're looking at the life of Enoch. What we're doing this summer is we've been going through the book of Hebrews and chapters 1 through 10 talk about saving faith. How are you saved? How do you guarantee your eternity? How do you guarantee your relationship with God? And we find that it's not based upon what we do, but based upon what Jesus did for us. Jesus came, the incarnation, God in the flesh, dies for us on the cross for our sins, takes the penalty of our sin because God is perfect and you're not. God is perfect and we're not. Jesus was perfect. He was God himself is what the scripture teaches us. And so he dies on the cross for us, takes the penalty. He's the judge. The judge takes the penalty for you. You are reconciled to God. You are now a child of God, not based upon what you've done, because nobody can do enough. Nobody can be good enough. Nobody can be perfect enough. Nobody can give enough. Nobody can serve enough. And so he did it for us, dies on the cross for us. And so we read in Hebrews 1 through 10 all about this saving faith, all what Jesus did for us us. But now we're into a new part, and the new part that we're into from chapter 11 going forward is walking by faith and living by faith. So now that you are saved, now that you are born again, now that you have been rescued, now that you have received salvation, now that you have received redemption, however you want to parse it, now we begin to walk. Now we begin to live. How is it that we begin to walk, and how is it that we begin to live? So there's two kinds of faith in the book of Hebrews. There's saving faith, and now there's living by faith. And living by faith includes a daily walk. It includes us at work. It includes us in our family, in our finances, in our failures, in our fitting in, in our future. 
a life of faith, hope, and love lived out in this world as we walk with God. And so verses 1 through 3 give a description of faith, not so much a definition, but a description of it, a description of faith. And here's what it boils down to. We can paraphrase it this way, that faith is confidence in what God has said he will do regardless of circumstances and regardless of situations. What is it? It's confidence that God will do what he said he will do regardless of circumstances or situations around us. And that's what all these individuals that we're going to follow through the summer, each one of them, as we follow it through, we're going to see happens in their life. That they believed God regardless of circumstances. They believed God regardless of their situations. What God said he will do, he will do. And it begins with saving faith. So here's what we believe. We believe that when we die, and I think we said it a couple of weeks ago when I was here teaching that, I like polls and statistics, and the mortality rate in the United States is what? What is it right now? 100%. And some of us are at 92%, some of us are at our 95 some of us are like 97, 98, 99, 100. Um, we will all die. We will all die. And we prepare for our driver's license test. We prepare for marriage. We prepare to remodel the bathroom. But seldom do we, do we prepare to um, meet death. And so we will, all, we will all die. And here's what we believe. We believe that when we die, when I die, whether I'm cremated or whether I'm buried, whatever it is that they do with me, I hope they don't keep me hanging around too long, but whatever they do to me, if they burn me up and then do whatever they do, scatter my ashes or put my ashes in little pieces of jewelry, I believe that what Jesus said, that he's gone to prepare a place for me, and Jesus said, if it wasn't true, I wouldn't tell you, that I believe that somehow, some way, God in his, in his power will reconstitute me into some kind of eternal, spiritual, physical, whatever it is, body, where I will be with him forever. Just like Jesus, who ascended into heaven. I'll be with him forever. I believe that. And as, as phenomenal as that is, it takes faith, and it takes faith in what? It takes faith in what Jesus said. Jesus said that's what was going to happen. So it's not faith in faith. Faith is not just hoping that something would happen, just... I, you, I, hope I can, I hope I can, I, I hope it is. No, Jesus said, I tell you this, I tell you the truth. If Jesus is telling you something and then he's saying, and I'm telling you the truth, this is what's going on. He will take our bodies, resurrect our bodies, we will be with him forever. So that's saving faith. And you can parse it however you want, you know, getting your ticket punched or getting the wristband or whatever it is that you do. But now we're into walking faith. Now, now that we're with him, how do we walk this life out with God? And it says here in this definition or this description of faith that it's not new. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, assurance of what we don't see. This is what the ancients were commended for. So we're reading about these ancients. In fact, the guy that we're reading about today is pretty ancient. If he was ancient 2,000 years ago when the book of Hebrews was written, he's really ancient now. 
And this is what the ancients were commended for. What were they commended for? Their faith, their hope, their trust in God that God would do what God said he was going to do. And so we are in this long string. We're in this long succession of those who have faith in God and those who walked with God. We're just in a long string of it. We're not the first ones. We're probably not the last ones. In fact, it might be that today somebody puts their faith and their hope in what Jesus had said, and you'll become the next one. You'll become the next one in that chain. And then maybe you'll pass that on to other people, maybe people in your house, maybe friends, maybe whoever. You'll pass it on. And so it's this faith that enabled these people in the past to overcome circumstances in their life and situations in their life, including death, including what else? Their loneliness. We read these stories, their barrenness, their poverty, their loss, their alienation, their uncertainty about the future. And the people who were originally reading this, the Hebrew Christians, they're discouraged. And these particular words and these particular accounts of these people are meant to encourage them. So there's a couple of places in the Bible, there's three places in the Bible that this guy we're looking at today, Enoch, is mentioned. Three places. However, and many people have asked me about this, there is a book of Enoch. It's called the Book of Enoch. You can go down to Books A Million or Barnes & Noble, whatever, and you can buy the Book of Enoch. And people ask, so is the Book of Enoch, is that God's word? Is that revelation from God? Um, it's generally been accepted that no, it is not. In fact, it's generally been accepted that the book of Enoch is fake news. Well, if you buy the book of Enoch, and don't because you can get it for free on the internet, but how do you know you're actually reading the book of Enoch when you go on the internet and read it? But if you do find the book of Enoch on the internet, the first chapter, verse 9, has a quote we're going to read in a few minutes out of the book of Job, uh, the book of Jude. And so what happened with that quote is somebody took that quote from that prayer from Enoch, and then they built up this whole book on either side of it, all of these things. And they say all of these things are what Enoch has said. Enoch has prophesied all these things. Pretty basically, the Jewish community, they rejected it, never put it in the Old Testament. The Christian community rejected it, never put it in the New Testament. It's fake news. Fake news is interesting. That's a new phrase. Do you remember when that, that phrase came just screaming into our culture? Like all of a sudden the phrase was there, fake news. When, when that came out, I started to do like some research on fake news. Like how long has fake news been around? What is fake news? How do you know what fake news is? Where do you find it? And I discovered some amazing stuff. Anybody here ever go on the internet? Yeah? So um, what I discovered on the internet was that there are people who every day, what they do is they have these pages that look like news sources. They might just name it the Uncasville Chronicle, and it looks like a news source. It looks like what you might expect from a news source or a newspaper. And what they do is they take little snippets like they did with Enoch. They take these little snippets and then they build these big stories around them. And, and then what they do after they build those stories is they post them different places around the internet, and they're usually juicy stories. And they're usually about either a celebrity or a politician or a music artist that you're interested in, 
are really disinterested in. And the story's there. And what they do is they have that story, and it's really called clickbait, right? Where what they're getting you to do is to click on the story. Because you're like, I don't like that guy. So you click it to read about that person. And when you read it, that story, that they came in, they're working eight to five, writing that story. And when you're reading that story, right along the side, there's all of these advertisements. And they know what you like because you have cookies. So they know all of the things that you've been searching for. They know all of the things you've bought on Amazon, and they're right there. And as you're reading this fake news, they're hoping that you will go over there and click and buy that thing that you don't need. I don't need a swimming cap, but I might someday click. So, uh, fake news, fake news. Now, here's, here's the thing about fake news is, is you do need to kind of acclimate yourself to that and learn how to be discerning. So the other day, right? The other day I was searching for whatever I was searching for and I found this salacious story about somebody. And um, I clicked it and I was like, wow, you know, that's amazing that that person did that. How did they get away with that? So I actually shared it with my wife. And you know what? It was false. <laughs> it was not. It was not true. I clicked the clickbait, and I'm supposed to know better than clicking the clickbait. Well, I'm telling you that the book of Enoch is clickbait. People are publishing it today. They don't want you to, to read it for free on the internet. They want you to go to Barnes & Noble and pay $19 for something they didn't write. So the book of Enoch, there's a quote in there from Enoch. But that's about it. When, when you read a lot of those fake news pages, there's a real quote in there. The rest of it is fake. So that's that. So now into chapter 5 of Genesis. There are three things that are said of this person, Enoch. You know, the Apostle Paul said that as well. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians... He said, don't believe any letter that supposedly has come from me. So in Paul's day, people were writing letters and then saying it was from Paul. People have been doing this stuff forever. It's not new, but people do it and they do it for whatever reasons they do it. So here's the first place that we read about Enoch. Chapter 5, verse 21. Now, what we're going to learn here is that he is one of the real ancients. He goes way back in human history. In fact, it says that he's the seventh from Adam, and then it says that he's the great-grandfather of Noah, and then it says he lives to be really, really old. Well, what's that about? Well, the Bible tells us that there was a flood, a global flood. Did that really happen? Well, when we did Genesis, we did a feasibility study. Could it have really happened? Of course it could have really happened. And we did it scientifically, just look at it ge geologically. Could it have happened? Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> could have happened. And so what the Bible shows us is that, that the world was different prior to the flood. And what it tells us is that, that the way that the planet was is that it was sort of watered from below. There was like just sort of a mist coming up. And it said that there was a canopy. There was a canopy. And so it seems like the pre-flood environment was almost like a rainforest. Anybody ever been in a rainforest? You have been? Anybody else ever been in a rainforest? Rainforests are wild. Um, 
we were in a rainforest. I was in a rainforest with my wife in a car and some other missionaries. We were visiting these missionaries. And so they were like, you know, let's go to rainforest. So they took us to the rainforest. And I, I did something wrong in the rainforest because my windshield was starting to steam up, I guess. And so I don't know if I was supposed to turn the heat on or turn it to cold. But, but whatever I did, I did it wrong and I couldn't see through my windshield. And so I was wiping it down, wiping it down, trying to see, and I put on the brakes, and, and we were like two and a half feet from a cliff. <laughs> Almost drove right over it. But rainforests are interesting because it does, in fact, feel like you're, it's raining, but it's not really raining. It's just sort of the atmosphere. It's like a terranium. Some decades ago, those were pretty popular. People would buy these terraniums and put them, in their, put them in their house and watch those things grow. And certain kinds of things would grow in there and certain kinds of things would flourish in there. And, and so the, the scripture shows that, that the earth was lush. There was just stuff growing everywhere. It tells us that after the flood, it was, the springs from the deep broke and then the sky broke. And, and it tells us that the world was different after that. This is so interesting because we're talking, you know, all of these when Moses pens this, you know, 3,500 years ago, he's, he's telling us that the earth had changed. And it says one of the things that happened when those eight people step out of that boat, and if you read people like Emmanuel Velikowski, who's a catastrophist, he's not a, he's not a believer in, in anything. You know, he's just cataloged all of these stories of cultures everywhere from, you know, Aztecs to Australia to Asians to Africans that... that all talk about the story of, you know, the flood and the boat and the, and, and the eight people. And so what the scripture tells us is that when those people come out of that boat, the world's different. It's completely different. It says one of the things that happens is it says there will now be seasons. There will be springtime and harvest. So there'll be, you know, summer, winter, spring and fall. Well, it portends that there were no seasons before. Well, you know, you get in the rainforest, it doesn't seem like there's any seasons. There's this, you know, what season is it? It's rainforest. Rainforest season. Uh, it's December. Yeah, it's December in the, December in the rainforest. It's rainforest. And so it, it said that afterwards there were, there were those seasons. What we know now is that it's the polar axis tilt, right, that causes, causes the seasons. Some people think, because of the way that the flood is described in the scripture, and it's described by the ancients. You know, nobody could know this stuff. You know, all of this you know, scientific stuff we know in the last 250, 300 years, um, that the polar axis tilt, you know, causes our seasons. And, and some people think that what happened was that the earth wobbled, and it seems to say that maybe in Isaiah, that it wobbled. So wherever there was dry land, water poured over it, and wherever there was water, the, the water pours onto the dry land, dry land becomes water, water becomes dry land, and the earth is completely changed. The relationship with animals has changed. Also, the relationship with longevity has changed. Because prior to that, you know, the Bible, and a lot of people read that and they go, well, how people read, you know, people live that long, like, how can you, like, how can you go along with that? Well, you know, if you look at everything and all put it together, it makes sense. You know, especially when you know like the scientific stuff and then you put it together with these guys talking about these things 3,500 years ago. How did they know that? So here's what it says in chapter 21. When Enoch lived 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. He becomes the father of Methuselah at 65. I read that and I think we ought to make legislation that nobody should be able to have children until you're 65. In fact, I think nobody should be able to have children until you're 100. Like, like what, do you know, what do you know about anything until you're 70 years old? 
but uh, we're children raising children is what happens with us. But 65, he has, he has some kids. And then it says, after, the, after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God. Read that. He walked faithfully with God. It's going to say that two times. He walked faithfully with God. He walked faithfully with God 300 years, had other sons and daughters. Altogether, he lives 365 years. Well, that seems preposterous. Well, it doesn't if you put all of the facts together and you put all of the things that could happen and now, now you're exposed to you know, the ultraviolet rays and everything else. And Enoch walked faithfully with God and then he was no more because God took him away. This is one of the only people in scriptures, a couple, that doesn't experience death. Well, that's what I want. I would like to not experience death. We are now in what's called the experience culture. Two kinds of cultures, and both of them sort of pivot off of Walt Disney. And we became sort of an imagination, the age of imagination, the age of experience, where we like experiences. And our experiences are just getting more and more radical. We just, we like to do stuff. We like to jump out of planes. We like to do zip lines. And now we're they're doing crazy zip lines. We like to do dangerous things. You know, we like experience. Well, I think there can be like no experience like going up in the sky with Jesus. <laughs> and so, so there's a couple of people in the scripture that happen to. I would like to be the next so let it be known publicly that I'm just letting God know. <laughs> if he wants to take an individual before he takes everybody in the rapture, I would like to be that guy. So he can take me. I will gladly do it. I will be the experiment. You can take me. And so um, what we learn about Enoch is what it says in Hebrews that he's one of the ancients. He's one of the real ancients. And we don't know much about him except that he and God enjoyed each other. They enjoyed each other. And it says of Abraham in the book of James that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. How do you get righteous? You just believe God and he credits it to you. So when you go to your spiritual bank and you see your balance or you go to the ATM and it says, do you want a receipt? And you go, yes. And you get the receipt and it shows you your balance. And it says, and by the way, you're righteous. It's deposited into your account because he put it into your account. He made you righteous. You didn't make yourself righteous. He put that into your account. And so it says, so Abraham, it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. Well, I like that, that he was God's friend. So what do I want to be? I'd like to be God's friend. Do I want to be God's servant? I do want to be God's servant. Jesus said to his disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And in that word there is phileo love, you know, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, phileo. It means brotherly love. And so Jesus has this relationship with the disciples that he loves them like brothers. He loves them like friends. And so I like to have this relationship with God, this walking relationship with God, where I know him as a friend, a friend of God. We used to sing a song here, I am a friend of God, I am a friend of God. Why did we stop singing it? I think because that was like the only line in the song, you know, and you sing, you sing it so many times. But, but the idea is that we are a friend of God. And Genesis tells us this two times, that he walks faithfully with God. Now, walking is kind of interesting. If you want to know what a word means in the Hebrew Old Testament, because we have it in English or the Greek New Testament, 
A lot of times you can just go to Webster's Dictionary and 95% of the time you're going to be right. And so if you look up the word walk in the dictionary, because he was walking with God, walked faithfully with God, it says to move along on foot. Moving along on foot is kind of interesting. Taking walks with people is kind of interesting. Anybody like to walk with people? You know, go down, yeah, there you go, a lot of people do. A lot of people go down to the Niantic Boardwalk and walk with people. And we go down to the Niantic Boardwalk sometimes and walk with people. And so walking is an interesting experience, especially when you're walking with somebody else. Because if you're walking with somebody else, you know what it's really hard to do when you're walking with somebody else? It's hard to argue. So if you're ever, here's the takeaway for the weekend. So, so if you're ever in like, you know, some kind of high-level argument with somebody, you should say, hey, let's just go for a walk. Because it's almost impossible to argue when you're walking. And, and the only way you can argue when you're walking is you have to stop and look at them and yell. And then, 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 you, have to, then you can get on to walk again. So he's walking with God. There's just something about the, about the act of walking that's so interesting in the relationship that happens between the people who are walking together. And it says in, in the dictionary that it means to advance by steps. So we're walking together, but we're advancing together. I'm walking with him and I'm advancing. And it says to come or go easily or readily. Right? Like we're not in a big rush. We're just, we're just walking together. And if you're on the Niantic boardwalk walking, where are you going? You're not going anywhere. You're going in a big circle. You get to the end and you walk back again and then you go to your car or the book barn, depending on your proclivities, right? And it says that a walk is a recommended or marked out place. That it's the act of traveling, to, to guide, to accompany, to move along. And it, and it does seem to indicate that some of this walking, keeping in step with, is daily. Some years ago, I was on the board of Shepherd Staff. Shepherd Staff um, cares for 120 missionaries. Anthony and Irene Chapman, who are on their way back to the USA, they've been with Shepherd Staff for 15 years. I think they'll be back in two weeks, I believe. The 23rd, they will be back. Uh, Shepherd Staff, we just take care of the needs of missionaries on the field that are not going with an agency. Their churches are sending them. And there's a lot of dynamics that happen that people need a, a lot of stuff, a lot of administration, a lot of things. So what Shepherd Staff does is provides all of that for missionaries that are not being sent out by an agency, but being sent out by their local church. So we got some training at the Wycliffe uh, Training Center in Dallas with some people who uh, taught us about um, hostage situations and kidnapping. Because what happens with a lot of missionaries, particularly when they, they go to poverty areas and difficult areas and lawless areas where there's, there's no law enforcement, many times missionaries get kidnapped. Why, why do they kidnap missionaries? What are they looking for? Money. They're looking for money. And so... Um, these guys came down to train us on like what you do with kidnappings. And they said, here's how kidnappings work. They said, these guys, what they do is they will watch these missionaries sometimes for weeks. 
They know what time they go to the office. They know what time they go where they go. They know what time their kids go to church. They, just, they know what time their kids go to school. They just watch them. And then at the opportune time, they grab them. And then they ask for ransom. Well, here's the thing. In case you're thinking about being a missionary with Shepherd Staff or almost any, any agency on the planet, if you're thinking about being a missionary and you think that they're going to care for you if you get kidnapped, you know what the uh, policy is of almost every mission agency? If their missionaries get kidnapped, you know what their policy is? They don't pay ransom. They never do. Um, and why do they never pay ransom? Why don't they? Yeah, they're just just encourage it even more. It makes it more dangerous for the next guy. And, and being a missionary in these places is very, very dangerous. Now, there are other ways to do it. One of the ways that it ends up working out is a lot of times the mission agencies will actually make the kidnappers look good because they'll say, look, you know, we don't pay ransom, but here's what we can do. We can, we can dig a well in your village and we'll let everybody know that you were involved in getting that well dug. How is that? And then you just give us our people back, and they'll help dig the well. And they usually cave. They usually do. Um, being a missionary, this was another thing that we learned there. There was a, a mission agency called New Tribes. Anybody ever hear about New Tribes missionaries? New Tribes missionaries, you know what they do? They go to New Tribes. They, they go places where people have never heard the gospel. Is that unimaginable? that there's a billion people on the earth that have never heard the gospel, that there's probably just as many people that don't have the Bible in their own language, that people are still going sharing this story, this story that started with the resurrection of Jesus and spread out from Jerusalem and then went out into Europe and Asia Minor and you know, finally came to us and has gone to other places in the world. There's, it's still spreading. It's still spreading all over the place. And so New Tribes Missions, they were a couple of decades ago they were telling us what happened with new tribes, that their missionaries were getting martyred, were getting killed. They were killing missionaries. They didn't want them coming in, bringing this message, and they were killing them. And so the State Department came to new tribes and they said, listen, you have had nine people in the last several years get killed as missionaries coming down here. And they said, we just want you to know that the State Department can't protect you anymore and there's nothing the State Department can do for you. You need to get your people out of there and you need to stay out of there. And this is what they said, how many more will it take? And so the New Tribes people regathered, they did their board meetings, they talked with their missionaries, they said, here's what the State Department is saying, it's very, very dangerous, what's our response to the State Department? So they got together with the State Department guys and they said, we have your answer. We have your answer. How many more is it going to take? And they said, what's the answer? They said, more than nine. We're going to keep doing this and doing this and doing this. Dangerous. But the point there was to just make the point that people watch your daily walk. They want to kidnap you. They watch your daily walk. But there are people watching us who don't want to kidnap us, but they're watching our daily walk. They're watching what's going on. But the thing here is that Enoch had a daily walk with God, and his walk with God was that they were friends. And you watch them, and you see them as friends, accompanying each other, walking together. And so here's the thing. Enoch is walking with God. He is in step with God. But he's also 
walking among everybody else that's in the world. And what the scripture tells us about that particular time in history, that it was one of the most wicked times in the history of humanity. I know everybody says things are really bad. Things have been much, much worse than they are right now. So he is walking with God, but he's also walking with his neighbors. He's also walking with the world. He's also walking with all of this wickedness that's around him. But he's walking with God. He's walking with God. And so the general wickedness of the population is overtaking everybody, but he's not in step with them. He's in step with God. Jesus talked about the days of Noah, this judgment. Jesus talked about it. It's reason enough to believe. Jesus talked about it. And, and Jesus talked about living in those days. And so what, what days were they living in? They were living in the days, Enoch was, living in the days right before global collapse. He was living in the days right before the judgment of God. He was living right before the end of the world as we know it. And what was he doing? He's just walking with God. He's just walking with God. Him and God are walking together. Him and God are spending time together. Him and God are friends together. The whole world is going crazy. He's just walking with God. Well, um, what were those days of Noah like? Jesus talks about them. What were they like? Well, one of the things that they were like, it was the certainty of what was going to happen. God said it was going to happen, and if God said it was going to happen, it was going to happen. The next thing is the suddenness of what was going to happen. Well, maybe we're living in the same times. I don't know. You know, maybe we're living in the certainty of, you know, whatever, you know, mutual mass destruction. Who knows what we're living under? And then the suddenness of the events when will Jesus come back? Who knows? It'll be sudden. You don't know when it will come back. When he'll come back. He could come back by the end of this, by the end of this time together. He could come back tomorrow. He could come back next week. He could come back in a hundred years. You know why Jesus isn't coming back? You know why he's not coming back? He's not coming back. Peter told you why he's not coming back. And he said, God's not slack concerning his promise. He just wants somebody else to come to Christ. And it might be that today you're that person that's been holding out, you know, not giving in to Christ, you know, trusting in your own righteousness or, you know, just disinterested or whatever, or rebellious or whatever. And maybe this morning, you know, you, you'll go, you know, I think, you know, Jesus, I need you as my Lord and Savior. And you're the one and boom, everything just starts to move. <laughs> maybe you're the one. Maybe you're the one. And then maybe we'll all go up in the sky together. And then when we do, you can say, I did that. What else was going on in Noah's day and in Enoch's day? There's a population explosion going on. You know that we're living in a population explosion? People started to notice this in the 60s. That's when that word really started to come into vogue, population explosion. What does it mean? It means we're no longer adding, but we're starting to multiply. From the time that Noah steps out of that boat with those eight people, To 1850, it takes that long to get a billion people on the planet, billion living people on the planet. 1850. All of history, all of human history to 1850, one billion people. From 1850 to 1950, billion number two. Anybody here born 1950? 
1950 below, I see some hands. We'll pray for you. <laughs> 91, 92. <laughs> and we're getting there. <clears throat> Second billion, 100 years. Second billion. 1950, 2023. What are we at? Seven and a half billion? Eight billion? It's multiplying. It's going crazy. It's going absolutely crazy. Well, Enoch was living in a time when there was population explosion going on. He also was living in a time where it seems to indicate that there were all kinds of unusual or abnormal or strange sexual practices going on. You know, we might be living in the same time where there's just a lot of, lot of stuff going on, awful lot of stuff going on. It also tells us that in his day, the imagination of people was continually evil. The imagination of people was continually evil. Imagination. Imagination's an interesting thing. And we're living in what some people call the culture of imagination and the culture of experience. And both of those pivoted off of Walt Disney, who brought in, you know, the power of imagination, and now everybody just imagined, you know, what could be, and he gave it to us. He delivered. He imagined things and he delivered it. And not only did he deliver what the imagination couldn't imagine, he delivered an experience along with it when he built his little worlds. And so now we're living in that age of imagination and that age of experience. And we are living in a time where we have the, the tools to assault the imagination like never before. It's crazy what's going on. And a lot of the people that are really using their imaginations in very creative, maybe very negative ways, are a lot of young people who sit around their computers, and with AI, AI is just so interesting. Um, many times when you pick up a robocall, you're on AI, because if you get into conversation, rather than hanging up on that, on that recording, start to have a conversation with them and start to ask them hard questions, and they know how to answer the questions. It's a robot answering your questions because they just program it. If this, then that. If this, then that. And you're starting to talk to a robot and having a conversation with a robot. Well, there's a thing that a lot of young people are doing on TikTok and Instagram that's called deep fakes. Anybody know what deep fakes are? Deep fakes are when they take, they'll take a movie star, they'll take an athlete, um, they'll take a musical artist, and they replicate that person's body and that person's gestures and that person's voice. And there will be a video of that person saying things that person never ever said because it's not them. It's, been, it's generated. It's AI generated. And um, man, the imagination. What, can, what could go wrong with that? Crazy, huh? To think that you're listening to a politician giving his platform speech and it's not him? Crazy. Crazy what's going on. And so this age of imagination, intellect being seduced by imagination, all kinds of people have imaginations. I read this weekend, and I thought, you can't do that. I read this weekend, Elon Musk said he wanted to build a tunnel from New York City to Washington, D.C., underground, so that he could deliver you from New York to Washington in 27 minutes. And I thought, there's no way you could do that. And I thought, we're living in the age of imagination. Of course you can do it. You know, Jules Verne said, 
you know, you could have like people living in boats underwater. You couldn't do that, Jules Verne. What are you crazy? Well, now people are living in boats underwater. Anybody in this crowd here lived in a boat underwater? There you are. You know, the power of imagination and where it can go and where it can go for good and where it can go for bad. And an awful lot of what's going on with us is going on for bad with our imaginations. Somebody said, we are a generation that thinks with its eyes. We see it. Since we see it, that's what we think. And we listen with our feelings. Does it make me feel good or does it make me feel bad? Wow. Power of imagination. And it's, and, and it's possible that imagination now is being fed by things one could hardly imagine. It said prior to those days, the days that Enoch is living in, but Enoch's walking with God. So all of this stuff, like, wow, AI, oh, oh, what's going on? I don't know. Just walking with God. I'm walking with God. I'm enjoying God. I'm friends with God. People are doing crazy things on the internet. People are doing crazy things with AI. People are doing crazy things with deep fake. And you know what? I got the real thing right here. I'm walking with God. The way, the truth, and the life. I'm walking with him. It's sort of a peaceful existence while everybody here is going crazy. And, it, and then it says, in that day, he lived in a day when violence filled the earth. Yeah, violence is starting to fill the earth, you know. Interesting thing, Jesus said that there would come a time on the earth um, where because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most people would grow cold. So as, as the tide of wickedness increases, the love of many grows cold. Well, you know, on the planet, there's always been wickedness. There's always been terrible things. There's always been genocides and horrible things going on. But we're living in a day, we're living in a unique day in history. And if you're a history buff, you know this, that uh, there's no place this stuff isn't happening. It's happening globally. It used to be that you could escape, or at least there were places you could escape to the awfulness of the Holocaust. But there were people taking those people and escaping them to places where the Holocaust wasn't going on. But with the increase of wickedness that's happening globally, where can you go? Where can you hide from this? And how much worse will it get? And so this violence that's overtaking the planet, it desensitizes us and causes us to not love. It happens to children. Can you imagine what's happening to the sensibilities of children that are watching all of this stuff happen, the violence, the pornography. You wonder why kids can't sleep. You wonder why kids are upset. You wonder why they're jittery. It affects the way they interact with peers, causes fear. And then our methods of violence, because we have such good imaginations, our methods of violence continue to be more and more sophisticated, more and more clinical, more and more scientific, more and more subdued. Like what? Well, going back some decades, how about chemical weapons? Why don't we kill people with chemical weapons? You know, just shoot a shell into the city and like kill them, kill them with chemicals so they all just fall dead on the, on the streets. How about the neutron bomb? What an, what an interesting concept. People trying to come up with the neutron bomb. Let's kill people and keep the buildings, keep the real estate. Wow, you know, what a mind. You know, what minds we have. You know, what's going, what's going on with us? And they were living in a time immediately preceding the judgment. So, um, one more place. If you have a paper Bible, turn to the book of Revelation and then go back one book. 
And we have the last thing that's said about Enoch. It's called the book of Jude. And this is what it says about Enoch. Jude, maybe the brother of Jesus. Brother of James, he calls himself. It's the only thing it says about him. So Jude, if you have a digital Bible, then just find Jude, verse 14. There's no chapters, it's just one chapter. This is what it says about Enoch. It says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. And he said, see, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict them all of the ungodly acts they've committed and all of their ungodliness and all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Wow, there you go. And if you buy the book of Enoch, that will be chapter 1, verse 9, and then everything else above it and below it is all fake news and clickbait. You paid $19.99 for something that's not real. So there's what he said. That's the only thing we have that he said. That Jesus will come back with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones. This is very interesting because the Bible is a book of prophecy. And a lot of times those prophecies are just God saying, thus saith the Lord. Sometimes prophecies come through people, individuals. And we don't have this prophecy of Jude in the Old Testament. You have to wait until you get to the New Testament. So people must have known about it, but it's not recorded for us in the Old Testament. But the first prophecy that comes from a human being in history about the second coming of Christ comes through a human. Enoch. The last prophecy about the second coming of Jesus comes through a human, John. And so you have those bookends of prophecies by human beings talking about the second coming of Jesus. And so you have these prophecies uh, speaking of the return of the Lord. And the Lord will return, but what's our posture supposed to be? Because Enoch walked with God, he was a friend of God, and he pleased God. They pleased each other. They, they, had, they loved being together. He's walking in step with God, but he's not walking in step with all of the violence and all of the wickedness and all of the imagination and all of the deceit and all of the fake news and all of the crazy sexuality and all of the, all, all of the rest of the stuff. He's not in step with that. He's in step with God. He's just enjoying God and walking with God. And when you walk with God, you walk in peace. You see, Jesus talking about the end, the disciples asked him about the end, and here's what Jesus said. Matthew 24, a lot of people turn there when they're looking at things concerning the end, because it's the words of Jesus, and it's almost all red words. Jesus said it. Red letters in a paper Bible are the words of Jesus. And so Jesus is speaking, and he said, watch out that no one deceives you, because many prophets will come in my name, many false prophets will come in my name. He said, when you, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do what? Anybody know what it says? What does it say? Yeah, don't be alarmed. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Well, a lot of people who like prophecy and like to follow prophecy, whenever they hear of a war happening, they're like, oh, there's a war happening. What's going to happen with the war? Is this going to happen? And that's going to move this domino, and that domino is going to knock down that domino, and then that, that domino falls there, and, and, and all of this. Uh, 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 uh. Jesus said, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. Don't be alarmed. You see, 
You think when Enoch was walking with God, he was all alarmed about everything that was going on over here? He was like freaked out. He was walking with God. He was walking with God. There was an EMT in the early, early morning meeting. And uh, if you're an EMT, any EMTs in the field? EMTs, police officers, firefighters, disaster relief people. So what you know, if you're an EMT, you're, you're a law officer, firefighter, first responder, is that first responders are trained and they learn to come into a disastrous situation remaining calm. Stay calm. And if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to call 911 and you've been waiting for that first responder, whether it's an EMT, whether it's an ambulance, whether it's a police officer, whatever it is, you are waiting and you're like, where are they? Where are they? And a lot of times when people call 911, they're in front of their house waiting, looking, where are they? Where are they? And, and when they come in the house, if it's an emergency situation and they're bringing in the stretcher, you're like, why are they going so slow? Go faster. And then, and then you stand over them and you tell them what's going on. Listen, these guys, if they get all freaked out like you're all freaked out, it's over. Situation's over. If it's a policing situation, somebody might die here. If it's a medical situation, somebody might die here. Like, we need to do this calmly. We're going to do it. We're going to do it right. Trust me. I... I've never been an EMT, never been a police officer, never been a firefighter. Uh, been a first responder, followed disasters for 25 years, and was a chaplain in some of those situations. And a lot of times, the first responders like the chaplains, not because they're so interested in getting spiritual care, but because sometimes they just want you to take those people who are freaking out and just bring them to the side and calm them down. Why? So that they can do what it is that they're supposed to do. They're trained to be calm. Usually they're calm by demeanor. They're getting done what they need to get done. What are you supposed to do when you hear about wars and rumors of wars? You're supposed to freak out. You're supposed to go crazy. What are you supposed to do when you hear about AI? You're supposed to go crazy. You're supposed to go, no. You're just supposed to walk with God, be peaceful, understand he's got it in control. This is a peaceful walk. We're walking together. We're going in the same direction. He already has the thing all laid out. He knows where we're going. We need to be peaceful. And if we can be peaceful, we can be of some use over here. If we can be calm, we can be some use over here. When you're not calm, and, and I'm telling you, like I know that some of us, you know, like we just, you know, everything that comes, we get like just excited, excited, excited about it. You know, this must be it, you know. Um, you don't want to be the person that cries wolf, you know, that after a while people just don't believe you anymore. You know, just, you know, we're here to be calm, we're here to bring help. We're here to bring healing. We're here to bring good news. We're here to help you. We're here to walk beside you. It's going to be okay. Get in the car. Follow us to the hospital. We're going to be all right. Stay steady. Hold on. And so Jesus says, you know, you should be watching. You should be wise. You should be warned. You should be ready. You should be forearmed. The changing of the guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. You know what they say to each other? When the guard changes, um, orders remain unchanged. 
We used to say it around here. Old orders are good orders. Just follow the old orders. Just love everybody. Just love everyone. There's craziness going on. Just love everybody. There's wackiness. Just calm down. Walk with Jesus. Be a healing force. Be a peaceful force. Be a, be a force of reason. Bring the good news. Bring the good news, not the bad news. Hebrews, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life so he didn't experience death. He couldn't be found because God had taken him away. Before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and he earnestly rewards those who seek him. You know, in the Bible, there's... Hundreds of thousands of people that are numbered in the Bible. So let's have the worship team come up and we'll close with some prayer. Hundreds of thousands of people that are numbered. You find places where it says, and of the tribe of Zebulon, there were 28,700. And you start to read through the book of Chronicles and it gives descriptions of these people and there's you know, tens of thousands. Of, there's hundreds of thousands of people that are numbered in the Bible. Well, it doesn't have their name, but at least they're numbered. They're numbered in the Bible. Your family was numbered in the Bible. They told how many people were in your tribe, how many people were in your family. What is a tribe? A tribe is just an overgrown family. And so you have these tribes of people, overgrown families, and their numbers are in the Bible, hundreds of thousands of them. They say that there are a little over 3,000 people who are named in the Bible, 3,000 named in the Bible. But when you get into the stories and the accounts of people, you're in the low hundreds at best. Just not that many people's stories are told. Because most God followers don't get paper and ink. Here's what I can promise you, that no matter what kind of good life you live, righteous life, no matter how close you are to God, no matter what you do in this life, your name's not going to end up in the Bible. I just want to let you know that. Like, like the Bible's done, your name's not going to be there. Unless you put your name in the back, you could do that. Joe, July 9th, you know, you can do that, but uh, it's not going to bless anybody else. It'll bless God. It will bless God. So um, most of us sort of go unnamed and don't get paper and ink. But I think that's one of the great things about Enoch is because you don't really know much about this guy. You know a little bit about him. Seventh from Adam, great-grandfather of Noah. You know one thing he said. He said one thing. And then what we know about him is that he walked with God and he pleased God. And they had a friendship. They walked together. So here's what Paul said to the Corinthians. He said, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. Not many here that were born of kings and queens. Someone in our family did some of our family history and they said, it looks like a couple of centuries ago, we, we are the descendants of Polish royalty. And I thought, 
gee, that's kind of a dubious distinction, you know, like, what does, what does that get us? It doesn't get us anything. Not many were born of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you're in Christ Jesus, who has become wisdom from God for us, our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. So God has done this for us. And every one of us is significant and maybe more significant than you know. Um, I'm wearing a suit jacket this morning. Usually when I'm wearing a suit jacket, that means something. Anybody know what that means? That what? Yeah, I did a funeral. I usually try to do it just to kind of remember that life. Um, actually, I can't tell you um, what a privilege it is really to, to sit with families of, of the dying and, and, and to sit with families of those who have gone on um, and just hear the stories, you know, about people and, and about their lives. Just such a, such a privilege. And I like to, like, reflect on it. You know, reflect on that life. Reflect on, you know, who they were. So I did it with another minister. I was invited, and I'm thankful that I've been invited to, um, to say something. At the, at the funeral of Larry Moore, there's some moths in the crowd, I think. Are there moths here? A couple of moths here. And a couple of things occurred to me. Um, one of them that occurred to me was that um, this family came to Christ 40 years ago? Mark, 40? Came to Christ. And I think it was one of the kids that wanted a Bible and got a Bible and got the family interested in something. And, and then a the guy, what's the guy's name? I can't hear you. What is it? <coughs> Conrad Collins. Conrad Collins from um, Woodstock. Anybody know Conrad Collins? Must be gone by now, I would think, Mark, huh? He's gone. Conrad Collins. So Conrad Collins starts to do this Bible study in the in the home of this family, and um, some of them come to Christ. Some of them come to Jesus. And I'm standing in that field. This guy's 89 years old. Now, I know enough about doing funerals that when you start to do funerals for people who are 89, 90, 93, 95, like a lot of times you're doing Eleanor Rigby funerals. Why? Because they outlived everybody, including their kids. So, I'm standing in that field, and I'm looking at what? Hundreds or hundreds of people? People in the back told those of us who were speaking, couldn't hear a word you were saying. Like so many people there. And I thought, like, how do you, how do you get to be like 89 years old and have a crowd of people that big so that when you're standing in a field talking as loud as you can, and the other pastor, man, I was like intimidated. He had, had this big, huge, you know, Charles Spurgeon voice. People couldn't hear through too many people. 
How does that happen? And I started to look around and I thought, you know what? If they never came to Christ, those people wouldn't be here. Those people, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be at this thing if they hadn't come to Christ. And neither would they or neither would they. And then, and then that, that family and that history, you know, just crossing all of these different webs and all of these different circles and all of these different people. And Conrad Collins. Who is Conrad Collins? Well, he's not in the Bible. But boy, it's amazing when you walk with God what he can do with a life, what he can do with one life, what he can do with Conrad Collins' life. And they tell me, is this true that like Conrad Collins really didn't think that he was like doing much? But we're talking about him today. He's not getting, he's not getting pen and ink, but he's getting vir- virtual exposure. <laughs> we could maybe do a deep fake of him and have him preaching. Who knows what God is doing with our lives? Just walking with him, walking humbly. But it's so crazy, everything is going. I'm just walking with God. I just want to be a person of peace. I just want to be a peacemaker. I just want to bring people to Christ. I want them to experience what I've experienced. You know, it, it, that's why it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't explain it to anybody. You just need to, you just need to experience it yourself. Come out from over there to over here. And man, your life will never, ever be the same. Just walking with God. Let's stand. So, Lord, what a privilege to walk with you and to talk with you and to be with you. And, Lord, I don't know, maybe some of us have never really stepped over. Maybe some of us have been really religious and kept the right days and sent in the right amounts and volunteered at the right times. But, Lord, that doesn't count for anything in the end. It's really knowing you and walking with you. And Lord, how incredible is it that that somehow, did you find us or did we find you? How does that, how does that work? Lord, however it works, we're, we're grateful to be standing here, to be standing in a field. And a, and to be walking with you. Lord, make us people of peace. Make us people that have peace. Lord, help us from being so freaked out. And know that this is nothing new for you. You've seen it before. And maybe you'll see it again. Maybe after we're gone, it'll get even worse. Or maybe it'll get better. But right now, Lord, we want to walk with you. We want to know you. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I give my life to you. I don't know what all of that means. You know what it means, and you know what it means for me. So come into my life. Come into my life. Believer, non-believer. Lord, come in and take me. Come in and make me yours. I'll follow. I'll walk alongside of you. I'll take your yoke, and I'll learn from you. Because you're gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll teach me how to be gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll teach me how to rescue people. You'll teach me how to rescue the perishing. And you'll teach me, Lord, how to restore the alienated. And you'll teach me how to heal the sick. And Lord, you'll teach me how to fix the broken. So I'm just grateful to walk with you, thankful to walk with you. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. 
May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May he give you peace. And may you make him Lord and Savior in every area today. And walk with him, walk with him, walk with him. You are loved, you are loved, you are loved.
Those are life-changing events for a lot of teens. You know, a lot of them have grown up in church. You know, you grow up in church, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it inoculates you to the things of God. You've just had enough of it that you know how to fight it off. And so, Lord, we pray for these uh, young people that are going to camp. And, Lord, they're just going to have a blast. It's summertime. But, Lord, we pray that, uh, more importantly, that they would come to know you come to know you in a deeper way. And Lord, that they would uh, learn to escape the things even of themselves, Lord, that they would see some things about themselves and they would drop them off and leave them there. Lord, that some of them would come to know you. Maybe their parents have known you and maybe their parents think that they know you. Lord, I pray that they'd come to know you, to walk with you and to know what it's like to walk with the true and the living God, to not just have religion, but to have you. So be with them, be with the counselors that are going. And Lord, what you do for them, do for us here, we pray.
Lord, I came to know you again at camp when I was 13. I knew all about you, Jesus, but I thought you were still on that cross like a good Catholic. When I was 13, I went to camp and realized you were off that cross. And you were alive. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. So bless that time. That formative time. And for those of us that may be too old, <laughs> renew it. Renew the time. Restore the, uh, the years that the locusts have stolen, Lord. Someone told me there's no time like the present to come to know you, Jesus. So we come at your feet. We throw our crowns at your cross, the foot of your cross. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Let it be so. Amen.